2: ready howler no, i'm as ready as i'm gonna be for a while anyway for sure <laughs>
3: uh well we've been uh, we've been trying to put this this episode together for uh, for a little while we had such a great response to uh to steve uh, the army ranger when he was on our paranormal episode talking about some crazy stuff that uh we thought he'd be good to bring on and do an episode of the midweek howl with me and you so we, we we'll just bring him on. What do you say? Sounds great. All right, Steve, welcome, welcome to the uh, big show, the
4: midweek oh, out. <laughs> How How's thi- how,
3: how things in uh, how's things in Louisiana right now?
4: Well, they're hot and dry right now. I, I, even the Skeeters are going ahead and, and have, have hoods over them from the heat. But I'll tell you what, uh, it keeps them from biting us, so we're all right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, well, so we kind of talk, talked a while ago, and you, you, know, you had a pretty cool career in the Army, and you, you had a real crazy kind of uh, law enforcement career when you got out. And that's why I thought you – and the Hollard make a good uh, make a good pair. So you you kind of indicated to me you had some uh, some stories from your
4: uh, you know work oh, yeah. work
3: life mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be kind of <laughs> interesting to share. So I mean, oh, you, wanna, you wanna wanna dive into to some stuff, right. we'll, uh, and we'll just we'll just listen and, and uh, I'm sure the howler will uh, chime in if he's got something.
4: Oh, I mean, I I got some stories. I mean, I, I don't know how deep you want to go with these things, but uh, you know, my career. I worked for Bogart Parish Sheriff's Office and the BPSO, and I you know I also worked uh, uh to retire retired from the Department of Corrections here in Louisiana. So, and, like in uh, Angola,
2: for... or where was you at?
4: Oh yeah, yes, sir. I worked in Angola. You down on the farm? I worked on the farm I, I, I was the one with the shotgun in the back of the hootenanny we called it calling them inmates all over the farm and everything that's right. uh and hey, tell, uh, so a
2: lot of these people especially our foreign listeners won't realize how big it is tell us a little bit about it and how it got its name
4: well angola is a, is a state penitentiary for louisiana uh big it's uh, when i was there we had a six thousand five hundred inmates over there, and uh, well, all it is is they, they call it the farm, and it, what it is is nothing but a conglomeration of several different camps. Uh, and you had the main prison, which, are, which uh, the inmates called it in New York City because it's so big, and you had 3,000 inmates in that one facility right there in the middle of, uh, of the farm. And then it, you had uh, you had Camp C, and you had Camp D, and you had Camp F, and you had Death Row, and they had all the uh, inmates be put to death, and, and uh, uh. You had just a huge, huge camp, and then you had Camp J. I spent a lot of time working at Camp J. Of course, I was there back when Burl Kane was warden. I worked for Burl Burl Kane for a long time, and also I knew his son, Nate, real well. I worked for him. He was a warden over at ABC, Bowles Correctional Center tottenport louisiana i worked for him for several years as well and uh, and kv was pretty pretty popular you know in the prison systems around the country uh but uh over there at uh angola it was uh in camp j pretty much uh when you went in that gate that front gate you, you of course you're you you're Ex-law enforcement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got to be someone different. When you cross that threshold to a compound, you got to be someone different than when you were at home. And you become a per- different person, attitude-wise, mentally, everything. And how we say it in law enforcement, and when you cross that threshold, better have it on your mind because if it's a you know, bus wide open. You don't know what to expect. It goes from zero to 90, just like that. And um, so working at Camp J, go inside there and we had body count rosters when you come on new shift you walk through there and your body count rosters wasn't to go ahead and count the live ones it was count dead ones the ones that got murdered overnight (laughs) right (laughs) you're walking i understand you know a lot of people have a hard concept of well you know i i knew someone in prison for five years ten years and they got out that, that's your other kind of prisons. Those are your, you know, class A prisons and stuff like that. When you got in get to or you know, in kind penitentiaries, of you're talking about people who got li- their lifers. They got two, three, four life sentences. They ain't going nowhere. And so Some he's got
2: 30, 40 years. Some of the older men have oh, haven't yeah.
4: they? Oh, oh, yes, sir. Um, You got guys who were 75, 80 years old, locked up over there, been locked up 65, 70 years. I'm on both their lives. I mean, that's all I know. This is their way of life now. And, uh, so, uh, it's, it's all they know. And, you know, those older inmates, believe it or not, the ones who, you know, committed a murder or something like that back in the 20s, yeah, well, they're they're, they're the ones that are pretty straight. uh, When they're 75, 80 years old, they're straight. They've actually rehabilitated themselves over those years and they ain't the same person no more. However, not all of them, most of them that way, the younger ones. The ones that just got locked up five, 10 years ago for multiple murders, those are the ones that you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, uh, um, when we, you know, had to do cell entries and that kind of thing, we call it five by five. And uh, I was always lead man. So they give me the shield and the shield had a taser on up on top and bottom. I had four officers behind me. We suited up, went into went into the cell. And I understand when you understand you go into a cell. These guys here are like wild animals. They they cat they cut, scratch, they're going to have shanks, they're going to bite. They're like wild animals, like a wild tiger. they have nothing to lose. You know, what what are you going to do? Give them their life sentence? They already got two, you know? So uh, what are they going to lose? So you go inside there, you deal with someone who, who just flat out, okay, give a dang. And so, uh, it's a bloodbath is what happens. And we go inside there, and, oh my goodness, son, it, it's crazy. Uh, and so I'm trying to keep all the gore out of it because there's some rough stuff. But uh, any case, uh, so every day we went inside there, it's something new, and uh, you had different levels, you know. In, in Camp J, you had level one, level two, and level three. It made first going to Camp J, which is a disciplinary camp on, on Angola, and uh, you get food loaf. They get eat food loaf for the first three months, and uh, yeah. a food a food loaf is basically whatever the. Mess hall is is, is, is serving. The chow hall is serving. If they're serving eggs and they're serving sausage and grits, okay, then you get that fruit food loaf is a loaf full of eggs, grits, and, and, and sausage. Now, that don't sound too awful bad. It was up, up at the lunchtime. In lunchtime, they're going to get maybe what they call mystery meat, which is a mixture of meat. You know what they call mystery meat. It's is, it re- is
3: it really that bad when they say, "Mr.
4: Oh, look, look, it, 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 it's it's it, it's pretty rough." I mean, when when you're looking at what these guys, you know, are getting fed. Um, now Angola, they did feed them pretty good. I have to admit that. The other prisons I went to, I worked at, my goodness, son, I wouldn't feed them to a dog, but Angola did take care of their inmates. They and the philosophy that Earl Kane had on that, you know, was to go ahead and feed them good, because it all it all circles around the chow hall. You go ahead and feed the inmates good, keep them in a decent mood. They won't have less problems on there, because you got sixty five hundred inmates on that complex and you only got five hundred officers. If there's a riot, guess what's gonna happen? So you you really gotta have it together. Uh, and he had a good plan of action on that, and so uh, but I mean, uh, uh, food loaf at lunchtime, you're, you you had mystery meat, you had corn, and you had peas, and you had jello, it's all mixed in the food loaf, even the jello. So, a no, wait there. a second, that's all mixed in together in a loaf, mixed in together, yes, sir. This is the kind of to get their mind right. It's to go go-ahead and, and uh, hey, the, the disciplinary, the disciplinary, and that's how they, they do it over there. And it, it's pretty rough, but, you know, these guys don't want it. And the rule was if they turn it away, when you put that tray in the beanhole hole in Camp J, and uh, they turn it away, they throw it against the wall or something, push it out. Hey, it's time It's time for getting get suit up, go inside and deal with them. And I had one inmate one time. He told me I don't want it. I said, man, look, you got a chance to take this right here. You better take it. You know what's going to happen. You know what time it is if you push this he tray away. He said, I'm telling you right now, Sarge, I don't want it. And that's all he had to say. I said, that tray through against the wall. Wham! Next thing I knew, hit that deeper, and here they come. Son, it's on. And he knew what time it was, and he got dealt with it's just a mindset and what we had to maintain over there. And uh like I said, I'm trying to keep with more of the milder things. I, I don't want to go Well, with.
3: I got to listen. I got to say, how bad was the food that you would rather take a butt whooping than
4: than eat the food? That had to be pretty bad. What did you lose him? Oh, I think it. I think he hit the thing
3: with
4: his ear. <laughs> oh, Steve, I see him on. I know I see him on I think he hit the thing with his ear. Well, how, well, let's talk till he gets back on then. Yeah, well, I how mean,
2: bad, I'm t- so
3: how bad was the? Lo- how bad would that loaf have to be? <laughs> for to do I, you
2: love? know, I think in some ways it's not. I think it's. I think it's a principle, you know, because a lot of them are upset that they're locked up and they just they don't realize that you know it's all fun and games. I don't want to say funny games. Hey, I'm going to get out. My lawyer's going to beat it. I'm going to beat the rap. The cops are lying, and then they go to finally go to court, and then especially bad real bad people right so when we had bad people to trial especially your people long-term offenders if they're going to prison for 10 or 20 or 30 years this the day that they're sentenced a lot of times we would take them off the elevator put them in a cop car and bring them straight especially your death row people or your people facing life with the within 30 minutes of them being sentenced they are in a car being taken to prison where they don't mess with them anymore so then they get to prison and after two or three days it's 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 especially the younger people it's it's really crossing their mind that i'm it's it's for real now you know oh yeah so a lot of it it's just uh you know they need to lash out at something and the only power they have is that food tray
0: oh gosh
3: i but i mean it doesn't sound like it was any joke you know what i'm saying like you really got beat down
2: for not eating. Especially, well, that's a real, it's a, I wanted to even tell you, I think that prison's about the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> well, so 7,000 people doesn't do it Just It's named after Angola, which is where the plantation and the majority of the, the original plantation was farmed by black slaves from the country of Angola. That's why it's called Angola. And it's, it's one of the toughest prisons in the, in the world wow um i looked up
3: just so i could tell what the mansfield reformatory was and i it it's ground so do you know how big the grounds were at angola because the grounds for the uh, mansfield reformatory were like 40 acres which it's a good chunk of, you know <laughs> that's, that's the uh okay so steve left so let's add him back on here um Everybody's gonna get the get to do the. They're gonna play producer with us right now. So call, call him back. Before you know, and I think Mansfield at one time had about three or four. Thousand. There we go, Steve.
4: Steve, you're back. All right. I'm sorry, I lost you there. It, <laughs> it, it, it's it's like on these signals out here, like the speeders they fly here, fly there, and you lose it quick. <laughs> I <love> it. <laughs> So, so the
3: Howard and I were just kind of talking, you know, how big, how big is, was the piece of land there at
4: Angola? Oh, Angola was acres. Uh, it was, uh, my goodness. Uh, it was, it was, oh, good God. I can't remember the exact acreage of it.
3: Yeah. I'm going to look it up real quick. I- cause I, back- I, cause I looked up the Mansfield back- reformatory, which is here where they you know, shot Shawshank and stuff. And it had huh? forty acres that went with it. And that's pretty good size. But
4: this, this is probably bigger now. I'm I'm sure it is because we, we used to hunt. A rural cane used to allow us to hunt and deer hunt uh, backside of the compound. Now uh it's it's eighteen
2: thousand uh, acres, twenty eight square miles. 18, <laughs> how many square yeah, miles?
4: Well, it, it it's 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 surrounded by the Mississippi River. It goes, goes around it. And so uh it was designed to where they couldn't get off there. So, yeah, it's been a lot of acreage. Uh, matter of fact, when you come off of, uh, out of, out of St. Francisville, which is uh, where uh, Gangola is, it's, it's to the front gate off Highway 66. It's 20 miles to the front gate, nothing but woods. And uh, so it's, it's, it's stationed out there in the middle of nowhere.
3: Um, Good Lord, did they, But, I, I mean, it would it'd be a day and a half if he escaped to just to get to the road. Oh, if they that can even make over. it. And,
4: yeah, as, exactly how it designed. Because it's been there since the 1800s. Uh, it was the uh, oldest oldest uh, compound in the state of Louisiana. And the second oldest compound was uh, Phelps Correctional Center, which was a station that was out in De Quincey, Louisiana. They used to call it Little Angola. I worked there, too, believe it or not. So, you know, but it, it was... Uh, so uh, that's across the other side of the state. But in uh, any case, Angola was massive. And they had the Angola Rodeo, uh, I think, every October. Yeah, that's what I was going
2: to say. They was. Uh that yes. warden that you mentioned, he was famous for letting them rodeo there, wasn't he?
4: Oh yeah. And them inmates can make some things. Let me tell you what, uh them inmates can make, I mean, furniture, uh, uh things that you you would you would I mean if they were on the outside, they'd be millionaires because beautiful, beautiful work they do. Of course, that's all they also have time to do. You know, they're locked up 24-7. So uh they made them, they have uh, uh uh those craft shops all over the compounds where they can go ahead and they can stay up to three four in the morning you know officers of course watching them and make their items they're going to do for the for the uh shows to go ahead and sell in the uh, rodeo and folks would come from all over louisiana texas everywhere to go ahead and come to the rodeo and buy buy what they want matter of fact uh there was an inmate there that uh he worked for uh, uh, gibson and uh, guitar company and uh, he made handmade instruments, for Willie Nelson and different singers, entertainers. And uh, when I was there, I was talking to him and I told him, I said, look, uh, he'd been locked up at the time about 36 years, triple homicides. and He wasn't going nowhere. And uh, so uh, he was so good at what he did. Uh, that Burl Kane had him, his own craft shop made. It's the only one he can use. He had a key to it and everything. Did things by hand. Didn't use any equipment. No lathes, nothing. Everything was made by hand. All his instruments was. He was known for that on the outside. Well, I asked him, can you make me a banjo? Because I love playing banjo. And he said, I'll make you a banjo. He said, that one of a kind. We'll never see one like it again. And I said, all right, get after it. So it took him a year. And while I was working there, uh, he'd come by my drop where I was at. He'd come by and show me his progress, what he was doing. Cut it out of, he made it out of a, a curly maple log and, uh, the bark on the outside and everything, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, moss still on the outside to this day. It's still on the outside of that banjo. And, uh, he put it together by hand and, uh, uh, talk about beautiful. My goodness. He inlaid, uh, era turquoise arrowheads for turning, tuning dots and, uh, in there and made the neck out of sycamore, beautiful wood. And uh, I play it, and I play in the church band, so I play it every, every Sunday. I go up there and I, I'll play it every once in a while, pull out the case. And uh, my goodness, it's just amazing what he did in that year. God. Well, so, I mean, so, 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 what was his
3: like, what was the like, what that caught? Did that cost you anything, or he just did it?
4: Yeah. I he I, I needed four hundred dollars is what I paid him. That's all he was allowed to go ahead and get for it was four hundred dollars, and so I paid him that. They put it in the rodeo just to see what it would do. A, a warden came told me he said, "I will just put it in here to see what it'll draw." He said, "We're not as far as you know, ribbon wise they they judge everything, all the things that you know, furniture and such they make, and they put it in there in the, in the ribbon in the, in the rodeo, and it won the blue ribbon, you know, overall. And so uh, I was really proud of that, and, and uh, it's it just. Uh, my goodness, what a talent. And, and these guys have got tremendous talents.
2: I
3: wonder so, if that guy, yeah. I wonder if there's any of uh, those, if that, if there's any of those guys, guitar. that guy's guitars out there, like, have you, uh, did it have a,
4: uh, a brand or a name attached to it? Oh, he like, put his name on it. He, he engraved his name with a burner, you know, on the head uh, of the banjo. And uh, he went ahead and that's all he did. Everything was personally made by him. And uh, he made uh, one of my partners uh, where I worked with over there, another officer, he doesn't play guitar, but he said, can you make me a guitar? And he, and he smoked cigars and real fancy cigars and had that wooden cigar cigar box. So he gave it to him and they took it and made a, made a guitar out of it, out, out of a cigar box. And uh, I went over his house when he went in, he lives the same time I do, and I went over his house when he got it from him and played it. I said, man, I tell you what, it, it's amazing what these guys can do. Uh, but I, I, I want to tell you this one story I had over there. Had one feller, and he was kind of thrown off, of course, you know, most of them was, but uh, he was kind of thrown off. Good old boy. I mean, talking to him is like talking to you know, uh, uh, Elmer Fudd or something. He just he was laid back, you know, psychotic, that they had to get him on drugs and stuff to go ahead and keep his mind down. So I was talking to the colonel. And I said, Colonel, I said, that old boy right there, I'll uh, tell you what, he, you know, I was reading this file, and it, he done some crazy stuff. He said, oh, yeah, he did. And I said, what exactly you get locked up for? I mean, I see all the charges he had and everything. He said, well, him and his brother, was both, of, both of them would throw it off, uh, and they lived out there in Chafalaya, which is the basin out there, nothing but, I'm talking about it back, they did back in the 1800s over there, no electricity, nothing, just living in them old shacks. And uh, anyway, so uh, he, went, he went ahead and uh, come home one day, and his brother and him together decided to kill his mama, to kill their mama. And they did, they murdered her mama uh, just out of uh, whatever reason they decided, they decided to kill her. And uh, yeah, I think she was thrown off too. Anyway, so they went ahead and they <laughs> killed her. Well, he killed his brother and he cut his head off. And uh, so he put it in the, in, in the driver's or in the pasture seat, the truck and he drove around figuring where he's going and bury his brother's head at. And, uh, he ended up going through the McDonald's drive-thru. He got hungry and he went through the drive-thru and he, you know, went to pick us meal up and the girl, you know, in the attendant in the window, looked inside there, seen that head and, and sitting there. <laughs> and she said, Oh my God. And she freaked out and she went ahead and called the police. And of course they come got him and locked him up from double homicide. And, uh, of course he had all kinds of other charges too. But, uh, I said, my goodness! What a way to go ahead and get locked up! And he got hungry going to bury that head. He got hungry, <laughs> and, and, and then they going to bring him to a drive-through. Come on now! And, he, he
3: uh, and the ir- ironic thing is, is then he had to go to prison and eat that big loaf of
4: stuff. Never hungry.
3: Never hungry again.
4: Rec- <laughs> I reckon not. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and you know, it, it's something. That, of course, when I when I met him, you know, seen him, he was already at camp at camp uh, camp C which was uh, more of a at the time more of more of a trustee camp so he'd work his way up to trustee and he's working in the carpenter shop over there and making he can make them good beautiful beautiful things he can make but all of them are that way but uh, how do you get how do you work your way up from killing your
3: mom and cutting your brother's head off uh, and being a trustee to where they get you into the woodworking shop and give you something else you could use to cut somebody else's head off
4: it, it's it's crazy. It makes no sense. It really doesn't.
2: Most Um, of it is drug induced. A lot of that's drug induced,
4: isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot of it is. And, you know, of course, when they end up going to court and everything like that, you know, their attorney will go ahead and down. They, you know talk things down and end up going ahead and dismissing some charges going ahead and knocking some charges down from you know from uh homicide to manslaughter or whatever and then go ahead and that's how they do it i mean it's 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 crazy how the legal system works here in louisiana it's all based on the old Napoleon law so we have some strange really wild, wild laws here and uh so it, it, it it's just you know it's hard to understand but it's just how they do it and, uh, of course, they stay there for life. They ain't going nowhere. Now, they do have a lot of, you know, life. the ones, the lifers that are going ahead and getting put to death. Of course, they're on death row, and death row is over at Camp F. And uh, so it's funny how that is because you have the biggest trustee camp of Camp F, the biggest trustee camp. That's, that's the camp, the, the trustees from the, for the wardens and everything, uh, are there at Camp F. And right behind the back and the front end, the back end of Camp F is, is death row where all your inmates are that, you know, they've been there for years before they get put to death, but uh, that's where they hunker down and stay. Uh, and so it's, it's just, it's kind of weird how they have it all set up. Again, Angola is not just one one facility. It's it's many facilities on on 18,000 acres. It's, it's, it's just spread out. And some of those camps are a mile, two miles, three miles apart, you know. And, and so, because y'all, all that farmland out there where they grow crops and such and they go ahead and, uh, they're self-contained on that. But uh, it, it, it's it's something. Now, at night, here's something, too. At night, in all the dorms in Angola, they use blue light system. A blue light system because uh, because blue light, look, it, it helps relax the mind. So it, it kind of, you know, the psychotic part of it is it kind of keeps them mellowed out at nighttime, keeps the rapes down, murder down, of course it don't help a whole lot because, uh, we, we go through there and, you know, man, we go, we, we, they, they, <laughs> at nighttime, they, they kill each other still. So it that doesn't help much. And shanks, A lot of your inmates would go ahead and weave books and magazines under their blankets to go ahead when they sleep at night. So that when inmate gets up to jig them with a, with a shank, you know, they'll have a chance to get away. And, uh, so it, it's, it's, uh, some crazy things there. Um, uh, you know, uh, and in the officers, you got one officer per dorm. You got ninety five inmates in a dorm, and one officer inside there with a radio. That's all he's got. He hasn't got any, He hasn't got a weapon. He hasn't got any handcuffs. He hasn't got anything at all. You have a key lieutenant that could pretty much walks the hallways, and if someone knocks on the dorm door, an officer or an inmate, he un- unlocks. He has the only one that has the key to the dorm door and unlocks it. So it's actually a safety hazard for the one officer locked inside there, but. Uh, is how DOC works, you know, in different camps. Wow. So uh, that's, that,
3: that would, yeah. um, that'd be a little scary. I got to admit. It, it One is. guy it, to 95, he wouldn't stand much of a chance
4: no no not at all i mean you, you know and they say well these inmates that are inside these dorms you know are more the mild ones yeah like the one that went ahead and cut that, his mama's head off and then his brother off. <laughs> that's probably too mild to me you know but uh <laughs> then I, I had yeah then one time it was i was making my rounds as a key lieutenant making rounds and uh i was coming down there and I heard this rustle going on in the cap station went inside there an the inmate was inside there going trying to kill the cap. So I took him down, went ahead and slammed him against the wall, brick wall and uh, knocked his teeth out and uh, oh, yeah. broke his denture. So I, I I took him down and everything. And, and, uh, so the captain, oh man, he said, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I said, man, look, I said, I heard the ruckus come inside here. I just went ahead and got him. So we handcuffed him, took him to, he had to take him to the hospital over there. They had their own hospital on Angola medical center and took him over there for the inmates. And, they doctored him up and took him to Camp J. Locked him up over there.
3: Doesn't doesn't does like how, Okay, so how was he? Was he just trying to choke the guy out, or what? what did he have a weapon? On? No, he had a shank.
4: He had a shank, and, and he was trying so, to get him with that
3: shank. And yeah. so you did. And so you, being in the prison, didn't have a weapon. No, all I
4: all I had was handcuffs. So
3: and I had basically, a So basically, you can't just shoot him. You got to beat him off and.
4: Yeah, I mean, you can't have a gun on yeah. yeah, yeah, no, a, yeah, can a, a prison compound. Even the, if the FBI or, or any kind of, you know, even outside law enforcement comes in the compound, they have to turn their weapons in, you know, in the gate before they go ahead and uh, they can't bring it on, on a compound. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, so there's no weapons at all. Yeah, I mean, you ha- you have Fox 5 you can use to go ahead and spray them down with or something. But uh, uh, I didn't have tam- even time to do that. I just had to grab them and go ahead and deal with them and uh, handle them. Yeah, so So basically,
3: basically you're exposing yourself to the same shank that the sergeant was. Right. Get Jesus out.
4: So it's, 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 you know, we, we kind of watch each so other's back. It's kind of a brotherhood right there. When you're in law enforcement, you're watching your brother's back and that's how you do it. Uh, and we always have to think, you know, in law enforcement, it doesn't matter whether you're sheriff's department, whether you're a state trooper, whether you work in DOC, FBI, DEA, whatever you're working in law enforcement, the number one thing is public safety. That's the number one obligation is public safety. And so we have to always keep that in mind, you know, and uh, that's what we got to do. But it's, it's, you know, and, and I, I guess I, I try to keep it away from all the real gory stuff because i can i don't want to do that because y'all be puking everywhere if i tell you the story uh, really <laughs> but i mean wow. it, it, it's crazy we deal with i mean it's a horror story type stuff that you might see on sci-fi but
0: uh, so
3: yeah. so did you ever okay well let me ask you did you was there ever in time where you, your somebody attacked you and you had to you had to take care of them or not?
4: I've had a few I've had a few instances before where I've had to go ahead and deal with some inmates. Now of course when we take them down, here's the whole thing about it. When I'm a a key lieutenant, I, I'm a, I'm authorized to carry handcuffs. So as the captain, you know, colonel and warden and that kind of thing, we can't we can carry handcuffs. Uh, and uh, so I had one instance where I had to go ahead and deal with an inmate, when went hit and took him down, and then handcuffed him. Once you see, once you, have him, uh, you have him secured, you know, and in handcuffs, uh, you know, you cannot, that's it. You know, DOC policy says you've got to go ahead and back off. You can pick him up, go ahead and take him where you need to take him to, but you can no longer go ahead and whoop on him or, you know, uh, use a level of force on him. You have to go ahead and, and just, uh, you know, have him restrained and offer backup hand them yourself, take them to the cell block. And that's what we got to do. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've had to do that. You know, it's just, it's just one of the things, part of the job you got to do. Uh, inmates are always trying to run, always trying to run, trying to run games on your mind, you know, trying to run games on the newer officers and do that and talk them into bringing drugs in or something like that. And that causes a lot of problems there too. So, but, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a game. It's a city in a city is all it is. And, and, uh, every prison is that way. I mean, even the smaller prisons I worked in are that way. Uh, you know, and, uh, uh the best, the best prison I worked in before that was the safest prison for the officers and the inmates both was Phelps correctional and De Quincey, which was considered called law little Angola at the time. But, um, it only had a thousand inmates on it, but we had 800 officers and, uh, it was, it was very strict it was it was the you know marine corps of doc and it was it it was uh i mean strict 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 and uh, which was very good and so a lot of inmates over there Now, why its that, because weird. the
2: inmates they had or why uh because the inmates
4: they only the uh, inmates on that compound could only have no more than 10 years okay a 10-year sentence so they had more than 10 years they have to go over D, you know dci or they had to go to angle or they had to go to wolves okay oh. Those compounds there, they can they can have 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You know, or, and of course, lifers have to go to Angola. But uh, uh, every compound was set upon its own rules. But even the inmates that had two or three, four years, those are the worst ones. Believe it or not, those are the worst ones. Those are the ones that, you know, the knuckleheads. We call them uh, crash dummies. They get locked up a couple years, go out, commit another crime, come back in again. You see them next year to come back again. And those are the ones we had to deal with. And I uh, had, one, had one, you know, that uh, I was, uh, man, we're working over here at Phelps uh, Correctional. I was a captain. So I was making them rounds, And I come out the back door of the kitchen on the walk. And uh, one of my officers had an inmate there. And he had a big old, big old hairdo. You know, they ain't allowed to have their hair so long. And uh, he had him handcuffed and he was taken. But the, the thing about it was the inmate was wiggling like a wiggle worm, trying to get away from them, and cussing them, and screaming him. I went ahead and snatched him up. They all knew who I was uh you know uh I, I was they call me big swall was my name in doc here in louisiana because i've always been kind of a, i was in bodybuilding for years my year, younger years so you know i, I love to deal with those inmates and so i'd go ahead and i'd snatched them up i told the officer, I said, i got them from here and i had them on chicken wing and, wing and i went ahead and took them down the walkways about man is right about 300 yards across the walk down the walk to the other side of the compound where the cell block was <clears throat> and I hit him. He was going, hey, Captain, my, my back's hurting. I said, it's too bad, too sad, son. You act up with me. This is what you get. Catch a cut, take your lick." So I got down to the cell block, and uh, he started, oh, I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to whoop you when you get these handcuffs on me. I said, son, you can get a chance. You're going to have your chance. I promise you. So I went to the <laughs> cell 13, lower left, and threw him inside there. And I told the officer at the desk, I said, go ahead and Closed the gate, closed the gate. I threw him inside there. I said, Back the bars, put your hands behind your back. Well, I'm pull him, pull him handcuffs off. He refused to put his hands to the bars. He said, I'm going to ask you one more time, son. And he said, He said, oh, He's there cussing me out and all this. And that. I said, Fine. I said, I'll see you tomorrow morning. He said, You ain't leaving with his handcuffs on. My hands will swell up. I said, Tomorrow morning, I'll see you. We'll, we'll, we'll get your mind right. Next morning, I came inside and made my rounds. And guess what? His hands were swelled up. He was crying like a little baby. I said, son, I'm going to ask you one more time. Put your hands in the bean hole, and I'm going to walk away for another day. He said, here you go, Cap. Here you go. And he put his hands through there. I <laughs> took the handcuffs off. I said, we, we got your mind right yet. He, he said, yes, yeah, sir. I said, we can get your hair cut now. He said, no, sir. I ain't getting my hair cut. I said, yes, you are. So he said, no, you ain't. He said, ain't no one cutting my hair. I said, oh, trust me. So I called up down to the station, the unit, unit two, and I said, I want the barber down here with his equipment right now. Still hublock, block, ASAP. Yes, sir, said, I'm down there. Here he come. He said, okay. He said, uh, I need a chair out here, Cap, And so I can go ahead and cut his hair. I said, no one said you're going to cut his hair. He said, well, why'd you call me down here, Cap? I said, I called you down for your equipment. I'm going to cut his hair. <laughs> well, hey, man, he looked at me, and, he, and I, I said, I ain't no barber, son. I said, you're in for a shocker. Rolled that gate. I went inside their son, tackled him down, had him in a headlock, had him down. That let Shears went over that head, son. Nice and smooth and bald, son. He was telling us the boss and Mr. T all together. Yes, sir. And he was crying, crying, my dude, my dude. I said, don't worry, son. I'll sweep it up, put an envelope for you when I'm done. (laughs) I did. I mean, that's how we had to deal with these fellers. I mean, was just that way. and And it's just you know, but I, I mean, I hey, but well, we had to stay on top of it. You know, uh, you, you're ex-law enforcement. You know what I'm talking about. You got to, you know, you got to maintain that, that discipline at that disciplinary level. And you have to at all times. And uh, we have to go ahead and, you know, I don't, I don't dog them. I don't go. I never went ahead and treated them wrong. You know, if they were, we joke around with the ones that was good. But when they one of the women knuckleheads, we dealt with, them, you know, how you had to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. Howard, did Man. you ever give
2: did you ever give anybody a headlock haircut? I mean I'm me gonna tell not... you probably not really the worst thing. When he keeps saying beanhole, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Yeah. Now you guys you will know what I'm talking about. You had uh those steel doors. I don't even remember who made them jails, but you remember had the Folger's yeah. flat keys. Remember what I'm talking about? Yes,
4: yeah, sir. Yeah, sir. They were made was actually made in Ohio, I believe, weren't
2: they? Yeah, you know what I'm I talking about. Was, yeah. When I say the yeah. Folgers yeah. flat keys right so right there by our booking desk we had a holding one holding two and it was it was concrete right that's about the best way i can explain it the bunks there was there was three bunks Mm -hmm. Uh, you know there there was a little toilet and sink combination out of stainless steel you know how they look oh yeah and then there was a bunk against the other three walls and it was poured concrete about two foot off the ground right so so there was nothing in there and that's where you put the people that was causing you trouble or had issues or whatever you know what I mean, and you you give them, uh, you I mean you start off giving them the benefit of the doubt, and you always give them we give them a like a, a a oh it's about a three and a half inch foam mattress to lay down. I don't even know what yeah. it was called, but it was yeah. it was yeah. it was foam and and had a vinyl. Nylon right. outside, and
3: Green, all brown, the blankets brown. were
2: like army blankets what I call army blankets. Yep. Old, old old army, yeah, and you give them <laughs> some army blankets. Oh, so anyway, police department bought this crazy guy, in, and I don't remember what his issue was, but we put him in holding one. It, usually, when the police department would show up, there's a difference. If you had rural law enforcement, if you had a deputy sheriff or state trooper that was out there by himself, he really doesn't he handles people different than the police department that could have nine police officers there in two minutes. You know what I mean? So right, right. so the police, the sheriffs and the dep- and the troopers almost never brought anybody wound up because they can't let people get out of control or they don't mess with people out there on the side of the road by themselves because they'll get their ass kicked. Right. So, But the police department's holding other animals. So these police department, when you I look at the mirror you know dispatch you call me and say hey they're bringing one up so you look into my alley, and when you see three four five black and white cop cars pull up you know something's up they pull him right into yep. sally port pull this dude out cuff behind the back hog tied you know what i mean and they carry <laughs> yeah, him yeah. in four of them carry him in you know what i'm saying face down mm-hmm. so what you end up doing is you try to smooth it out because you got to get your booking information a lot of times and so anyway this guy went and holding one he was mad and drunk when we put him in there and it didn't get no better he was just insane. Well, he's got a panic <laughs> yep. button that he can push in there that'll call out. You know what I mean? And then oh, right. it, there's there's different people within the institution. It's not really a true institution. It's a jail on the back of a big office building. So, right. But when he pushes that emergency button, the people in dispatch and the people upstairs— it freezes their screen where they can't do anything until they clear that emergency button. Does that make sense? Yep. yeah. So so he keeps every two or three minutes he's got to push that button and he's wanting out. He's wanting his phone call. He knows his rights. This is bullshit. You know, he just he's just fucking insane. The problem right. is it was the summertime, and you can take a jail in the city in the summertime, it could be it could be brutal because because oh, yeah. there's three, four, five of them. You'd bring them in and we had pipe benches. And, and they Correct. would oh, bring them inside and you're cuffing them to the pipe benches uh, away from each other until you can get them all sorted out you know they're stacking up like cordwood kind of you know yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah he kept pushing that button and the dispatchers calling me saying hey can't you do something and i'm saying hey dude don't push that button no more on and on and on, and on. well i'll never forget these two troopers i end up working with later Brought these drunks in at the time that I walked over there, and he pushed that emergency button, and I opened that. Remember, it had a like a metal little metal peephole door that you'd open; you could see in. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I opened that door, and he's face to face with him, and he's yelling some bunch of shit. And I said, "Hey, if you push that button one more time, the only thing I got to base." And this is about probably ninety-two. And remember <clears throat> when pepper spray first first come out? You know what I mean? It oh, was yeah. like it was like the we we just. You just thought it worked on everything. Miracle. It was a miracle it's medicine. Like 100,000 100, Schofields. It wasn't much. <laughs> yeah. It was like miracle medicine, right? Of course, right. When I see these people, these cops now, they're shooting dogs. I'm thinking, don't they give you all pepper spray? Because you hit a dog with pepper spray, and he'll never walk near a uniform again. Ever? Right. Ever. Right. And uh, uh, so I walked over there, and I opened that door, that little peephole, and I said, you hit that button one more time. I'm going to mace the shit out of you. Yep. And he starts, screw you, blah, blah, blah. I know my rights. I don't and I close that peephole door and I was walking back to my desk and this trooper says, real Johnny Law, John Dudley Doright, says, I don't think you can mace him for that. And I said, For what? And he he's gotta be a threat. He starts telling me something and the other troopers watching him tell me this story. And that dude hit that panic button again and i was walking uh-huh. around the looking desk and i grabbed that brand new oc can you know it was red and i was shaking it like yep. rage. and i said what would you say dave that's his trooper he said i don't think you can face him just for nothing and i put that folder's flat key in that chuck hole door and i opened it and you know what i'm talking about i said chuckle door about knee high yeah, yep. and i pulled that i opened that little chuck hole and i looked in there and looked up and i said hey and he reached down there and he started arguing as a case about three a chuckle and i went and I sprayed him like <laughs> like I was spraying a, uh, a freight car down at the rail yard, you know. If I was, <laughs> the, you know what I mean. And I'm telling you what that hit him in the face, like, and you, it looked like I hit him with a fastball, a hundred mile an hour uh, yes, fastball or something. He fell right down there, squalling and screaming and squalling. And I shut that chuckle, and I looked at that trooper and I said, "What did you say again, Dave?" And he said, "I don't think you you can do that. I don't think that's right." And I said. I didn't ask him if it was right. I told him if he did it, I'd do it. Of course, the other trooper says, Hey, I respect it. You told him. So, yeah. hey, next thing you know, now, of course, the dispatch and all these people in this whole realm that's been begging me to do something, they're now they got him on the big screen and he's over there trying to wash his face in the toilet. He's found his way. He's, 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 you know, he's ellen keller his way around that concrete cell until he found that stainless steel toilet and uh uh-huh. and he never hit that call button again
4: <laughs> i tell you, yeah, yes, sir. Hey, you know what? And, and that's exactly it. And and that's exactly it. And as far as, you know, not, you know, having the right to spray them, that's, you know, you did the exact right thing because uh DOC policy states, you know, three acts three direct verbal orders, man, if they disrespect that you can put it on. And, you know, so, uh, and I, I'll tell you what, they got that Fox five well, before I retired, they had that Fox five, which was, Five point four million Schofields. it was woo, and so that stuff we had right there. We had to get sprayed with it, you know, because in case an inmate died, you know, oh yeah, i been court, sprayed,
2: huh? You know,
4: we had to say, well, We we didn't get, you know, we didn't. But uh, uh any case, so uh, we didn't die. So you know, it, and so it wasn't considered a lethal weapon. Some states it is, but uh, Fox Five was bad stuff. We sprayed. Oh wow, I I, I, I man, in the cell block we had this, we had the fogger. I'd use that oh, yeah. fogger. Or something. I tell like, all him in Woo! Open it up. There you you mean as a fog <laughs> a fogger with, with pepper
3: spray? Is a pepper spray <laughs> fogger? Yeah, buddy. Ooh. Ooh, how can I get Again, one of those
4: for the mail
2: truck? Can I get one of those like <laughs> hey, now you're talking out. about the big can? You're not talking about the one that looks yeah. like a leaf blower
4: no that little small one is is a screamer yeah. that big one is 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 the fogger and that thing right there fills the whole room up the whole room would get full with that stuff and then and coughing and puking work or you can't breathe and it burn and it, it would get them all right. And, I, and I'd tell them, I said, look, I'm going to tell you right now. If you don't go ahead and get your mind right, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empty this thing out in this block. And everybody's going to go ahead and catch their cut. And all the inmates next to the cells around there go ahead and start putting towels around their faces. You know, they know what hey, at,
2: at the time, they're telling him to back the fuck off and do what he's told because they don't want
4: right. it. No, uh, they don't. And they're all oh, there cussing, yelling. And, of course, you know, when they all get out of the block, of course, they're going to work on them for going ahead, and you know, and putting them right, in that situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you know, but yeah, you got some knuckleheads inside there. But I know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, it's just, Hey, hey, Shane, he's talking when he's talking about a fogger. They got one that looks like a leaf blower that they put that tear gas in a big canister, and then it starts. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's got a mo- it's got a motor, doesn't it? It's got like a leaf blower, yeah, like a two stroke. Sure that's a
4: big one, yeah. Yeah, that's See,
3: the all. Way. All I can imagine is is mounting one of those on the top of a mail truck, kind of like a turret on a on a tank. There, it's getting. Cutting a hole up there and just going down the neighborhood and shooting all the dogs one time.
4: <laughs> It'll work. He'll do it. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, it's just, I know we, we, uh, I was having to do a class. I was having to do a class, uh, for the uh, officers on my shift, and we had, I had to spray them, because so all the captains had to spray their officers on their shift, so I went ahead, and, and uh, I lined them up, I said, this box 5 right here, and you know, we had freeze plus P, we had, which was pretty rough, but that's when 2.5 million scope goes, this was five, 5.4, I said, gentlemen, I said, you know, hold on, you ask, I said, this right here is going to get your mind right real quick. I can handle it. Okay. I'd hit them across the eyes with it. Boy, I'll tell you what, they'd run around like chickens, with head cut off. And the first thing they want to do is go into the restroom and go ahead and put water in their face. That's the worst thing to do. That reactivates that stuff. And uh, oh, they went home and their wives would call me up Captain, hey, look, my husband, he can't sleep tonight. His face is burning. And I tell him, I said, get, get, get some milk and put it in his face and help dilute it. I said, man, I don't want water you know, and I, I, you know, the water had reactivated, you won't see it at all, so, you know, but it, it was just, we all had to do it, and, uh, but I, I'll tell you what, my goodness, and of course, you know, uh, you know, we, we hit by, you know, beanbag rounds, and ball rounds, and all that kind of stuff, paintball rounds, and everything else we had to get hit with, you know, it was on tack team, so we had to get hit with all that stuff, too, and it, it was just you know uh, getting ready for what we had to deal with, and, and we went to all the different compounds and dealt with the inmates there. But, uh, uh,
3: was, let me let me, a, let me let yeah. me ask you this, Steve: Was there anybody anybody famous locked up at Angola while you were there?
4: Actually, yes, there was. Uh, it's funny you said that. The uh, Little, little Munchkin feller, I can't remember his name now, but he played in a couple of Clint Eastwood movies. Um, he played in a uh, tightrope with clean Eastwood that was made in new Orleans. Uh, he owned a bar in the, in the, in the movie and a little short guy, uh, uh, I guess you call him dwarf. And, uh, so he was there at Phelps correctional center when I was there. And, uh, I, I, when I first seen him, I was working in a garment factory They're called a garment factory with all the inmates made clothing there. Stuff made their own clothing and that kind of stuff, the jumpsuits and such jeans and jackets. So, uh, Anyway, I was there making rounds. And uh, get got time for them to go ahead and leave that afternoon at 3.30. 30. Thinking back in the dorms for count. So uh, we had to shake them down before they come out the door. And I was over there looking, and I seen this little short dude, and I picked him up, put him on the desk, and shook him down. Boy, everyone started busting out laughing. I said, man, I ain't killing my back over this. <laughs> <laughs> so, And it just. So anyway, so uh, I thought I recognized him, but I wasn't for sure because I'm a big John Wayne Clint Eastwood fan. So I seen all the movies, and so the colonel come to me. and He said, "You know who that inmate is?" And I said, "No." And he said, "He plays an inmate in movies with uh, Clint Eastwood." I said, "Really?" Helps co-write him and stuff. And I, I said, "Wow." So I had to watch a tightrope that night to go ahead and say, "Sure enough, he was in it." And I said, "Well," and uh, so we had we had uh, him there. Uh, all now now uh, country singer. Now, uh, he wasn't there when I was there. He he uh, wrote "Last uh, Last Teardrop Falls. Uh, he was Spanish, and he, he was a country singer back in the 60s, in the 70s. Uh, if I said his name, you know what I'm talking about. He wrote The Last Teardrop Falls. Freddie uh,
3: Fender.
4: Th- Freddie Fender. He was locked up there, not when I was there. He was there before I was there. But he was locked up there, and he actually, it was a tree right next to the kitchen on Phelps' compound where he actually sat down and wrote that song. He was locked up there in '63, I think it was. He uh, wrote that song uh, last year, Drop Falls. And so,
3: uh, yeah. Really? I mean, That's good.
4: Yeah. Prison yeah.
3: – Some guys have written some pretty good songs in prison. Oh, I think <laughs> mean, what?
4: There were some rappers there, did the stuff, a lot of rapping and stuff like that, and, and uh, all that kind of thing. And I mean, it was just, 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 uh, uh we we had you know a mixture of people there. We had you know preachers there were locked up. We had doctors there were locked up. We had lawyers there were locked up. We even had one. We had a father son father and son that were locked up together uh, there. Uh, and we had twins, two brothers that you couldn't tell them apart. And uh, we only way we can tell them apart by DOC number. <laughs> that was it. And, oh uh, God! So it was it was something then. Uh, uh, We had, we had just, uh, uh, oh, just all all kinds of things. Uh, uh, I think one of the funniest times we had, I had was, uh, I was doing middle of count time and I was, I was in the kitchen in my office doing count and my lieutenant who worked under me, he was making rounds in the cell block. Now the cell block was fixed to be refurbished. So it was emptied out. We, it was completely empty. No one was there. No officer, no inmates, nothing. He's making rounds through there. We've had a lot of instances, you know, ghosts and that kind of thing in there, people seeing ghosts and hearing noises and everything. Well, me and my, my, my lieutenant, we played jokes with each other all the time, try to keep things light. So, you know, of course, Captain Keys, you got every kind of key you've got on there. You got 20 some big old keys on there, rattling together and brass keys <clears throat> and making a racket. Hear him come a mile away. Well, anyway, he's making rounds up there, and I was doing the count in the kitchen across the compound. He called me up, or he called me up. Said Cap, where you at? And I said I'm over here in the kitchen. No, you ain't. You're in the cell block with me. I said, No, I ain't. I'm doing count in the kitchen. He said, No, you. I hear your keys rattling, son. He said, You you playing a joke on me? I said, No, sir. I ain't playing a joke on you. I'm doing count in the kitchen. And he said, I hear your keys. Whose keys is it? I said, Well, go look and find out. He went around because it was double tier cell block. He went up lower right, lower left. He went upper right, upper left, looking for wherever it was. He couldn't find nobody, so he come back to the kitchen. He said, "Cap," he said, "I swear I heard keys rattling in that kitchen in that cell block." I said, "People hear things all the time inside there," and he said, "It wasn't you." I said, "Well, I'm right here. Been here all along." And uh, he said, "Oh my God, is that ghost?" And I said, "I reckon so," (laughs) but. Hey, I mean, there, there, there's some things that uh, <laughs> put step behind me in the warehouse. I've, I've heard all kinds of things, you know, and we've heard all kinds of stories. And uh, so because Phelps Compound has been there since 1954, it was built in 54. So there's been a lot of murders there, you know, killings and inmates sh- shanked and officers killed and all kind of stuff happened there. So now in their gym. They have a gym called the Wellness Center back on the back part of the compound, and I'd work out every every time I get off ship. So i can go in there and work out, and I'm by myself because it's hard. I try to train some of the officers, but some of them just, you know, try to get the guys who want to work out after work. It's hard because they ready to go home. You know, I don't blame them, but, I'll, you know, working out in my life, so I just do it as a, as a habit. Well, I'm inside there, and one of the benches had wheels on it. Manual wheels on it and if you kick it i've done it by accident myself working out and i walk by it and kick it it makes a real bad ringing sound you can hear it through the whole room well i'm in the bathroom ready to go washing my hands doors open i'm thinking to leave and i heard that hit like someone kicked it two or three times and i looked out there no one's there and i heard it again I looked out there no one's there i kept hearing it over and over again no one's there so you know I, I, there's strange things that happened on there you know and, and uh we've all seen <laughs> Things and everything and but but I mean, this things happen. I mean, just uh, but uh, I, I I mean, we just do things we have to do on that compound. And of course, you, you know, you're trained and taught all the compounds. You're trained and taught. Hey, an inmate tries to escape, you know, and and uh, he has a knife to the warden's the warden's net the throat, and he wants to get out the gate, you know, and escape. You let him out or not, we can't it's public safety number one thing we have to do you know we can't we can't let them out and so yeah but it, it's there's some crazy things and, it, and it's just looking back on it you know I, I i don't miss it at all my blood pressure was so high back then i'd go off and uh oh i had one instance what happened one time where you know i was doing my count and uh we had a dorm way in the back called new dorm two and it had four dorms in it out from Charlie how the arms and 35 inmates in each dorm. And anyway, so uh, they go, and my officer over there called me up. Says, Camp, he said, the inmate threatened me. He won't catch his rack for count time. And he's telling me he's going to kill me, my, me and my whole family. Well, I jumped he and got my lieutenant on the, line, on, on the radio. I said, hey, LT, I said, you better beat me to New Arm too, son, because I'm going like a train. You hear me? And I get there first. You know me what well, I'm going to do. He knew I was old school D.O.C. so he knew he had to go ahead and and Get ahead of me, because Marty, he, uh, my, my best friend in the world, Marty Frank, he, he was my lieutenant, and he went ahead, and he, he knew my temperament, so he'd get in front of the inmates before I'd get them. I, Oh, my goodness. So he threatened my officer. So ran down, and he met me on the walk going down that way, and, and he got ahead of me. I got it cap. I got it cap. He got in front of me. And he got inside there, and we went inside and grabbed that inmate. I got him, Captain. He ain't going nowhere. Well, I grabbed that inmate up by the throat, threw him against the wall out of Marty's hands, and I had him against that wall. I said, I told him, I said son, I said, you dare go threaten officers again. I'll rip your heart out right now in front of everybody here in this dorm. Well, I was going, and, boy, and, and, well, I said, calm down, Captain, calm down. He kept saying, calm down, Captain. And finally, I went ahead, and I said, lock him up. Put him in that cell block and get it out of my face. I mean, I, I, just, I can't deal with when someone would Going ahead, inmate would threaten my officers. So I uh, went ahead. Marty had a, he knew how to control of his temper. I didn't. I uh, thank God for him. I don't, you know, I would have hurt him. I would have hurt that inmate. And, and Marty is the one that, you know, catches me. Well, this one instance that happened me and him were sitting in the cap station and we were sitting there, it was kind of getting towards him today. And we got a call going down to the shakedown room And Sally, outside kind of Sallyport. And when the inmates come in, they have to get shook down and come in and they come to the security gate. And uh, anyway, so uh, we got we got some guys here don't want to shake down, Cap. So me and Marty went down there. We said, "Here we come. We, we coming down." There. They called us the Road Warriors. We come down. We knew they knew we were going to handle business. We got down there, and uh, we had five stalls there, five inmates going ahead, and then uh, the other four were shaking down like they're supposed to. They weren't supposed to do this. This one wouldn't do it. I said, "Turn around, bend over." And like he wouldn't do it. I said, "He said we didn't do it in Angola." I said, "I worked in Angola. I didn't again inmate." And he said, he said, Well, I ain't doing it. I said, You're going to do it right now. I put my hand in my handcuffs. And I'm going to give you one more direct verbal order and I'm going to cuff you and take you to the cell block, son. I'm going to deal with you. And he said, He said, I ain't doing it. Boy, Marty got ahead of me. He got right in front of me and he blocked me. And he, he said, I got this cap. I got this cap. Boy, I took the refrigerator and I threw it because they had a refrigerator over there for the officers. I threw it against or, or, across the room. I tore the table up. I was going crazy. Well, I forgot the camera was there, you know, watching. So anyway, no <laughs> matter watches the cameras, you know, so uh, we go ahead and we flew it off and everything else. And I had to write it up what happened to the refrigerator. But well, anyway, uh, about <laughs> we got three months later, one of the officers that I worked with, who was one of the superior officers over in Angola, who knew me real well, he came over as number three warden and Phelps. And so he went over there and he called me in the office. We called him the cameraman and he'd go, he watched the cameras he watched the officers and the cameras more than he watched the inmates. He called me in the office and said, Hey Steve, how are you doing son? I said, good deal. How are you doing here? You come over here. He said, yeah, number three warden here, man. And he said have a seat real quick i said sure he said uh looking at the camera here he went back a few months and i kind of seen something interested in me and i said what's that and he said uh well look at this explain it to me and i looked at it and all of a sudden here's me going ahead and throwing the refrigerator across the room and doing all the crap and uh and i'm getting mad at the enemy, mate so he said uh what's that all about steve you ain't changed to the goal, have you and i said Oh man, he said, I need to put you in anger management. I said, No, I'm all right, buddy. I'm all right, Randy. He said, okay. He said, who's asking? He said, could you calm it down a little bit? I said, yeah, we can calm it down. He said, go. I said, I understand so anger I was, management that's what i <laughs> yeah. was just thinking Good. anger management when I, when I went off i mean the inmates knew when i when i'm coming to that dorm if someone calls and and for a backup and i'm coming inside the inmates knew they better have it on their mind because i'm coming inside there i'm going to tear that dorm up and i'm going to get minds right real quick and so they knew how i was and so but i he, he i had to understand i wasn't an angolic so once you work in the state penitentiary it's a whole different mindset and you go to these smaller prisons; it's a whole different mindset, and you can't do the things that, that you get away with over at a uh, at a penitentiary at a smaller smaller prison. So I had to regroup my mind, if you understand what I'm saying, and kind of because uh, we we I had to deal with some inmates, and so you know uh, over at Phelps and over you know ABC and that kind of thing, we had to really kind of you know be different, a different mindset. And I, I couldn't re-gear. You know, I, I I was old school DOC. All I knew was how to go ahead and give them a direct verbal or They didn't do it or they cussed me out. I'm coming in like an army, you know, and I'm going to take care of business. And so it was just I had to redo it now, you know. But in any case, so it it, I, it, it was just, I, I don't know, I, but I, I loved my job. I loved what I did, and I, I gave 100% to it. But when I finally retired, it came down to me retire when, when the prison nurse, you know she was checking my blood pressure one day, said it was 187 over 120. said, it's time for you to retire son. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah yeah that's how wired I would get. And so I, I, I just said finally I said that's it. If my years are in. I'm going ahead and putting in my pet retirement package and I retired. And uh, you know ever since it's been a few years and I you know I, I, I've calmed down so much. But man, I tell you what, now my wife, we're talking about the bosses, wives being bosses. My wife, oh son, when I came in that front door of that house, I better leave all that back in the prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that friend, can come up, son. She, I'm gonna work on that head, son. You go ahead and start mouthing off to me. You I better said,
3: yes, uh, <laughs> you better hope none of those guys you worked with or uh you were in <clears throat> prison or listening to this episode
4: and oh, they oh, find oh, out oh,
3: that, oh, that yeah. your
4: wife was uh, in charge. That she well. They know when I we go in town. We're going through De Ritter, a small town outside of Maryville. We go there where Walmart's at because Maryville ain't got but a dollar store. Small little town, five hundred people. so Twenty miles away to go to Ritter where the, where the Walmart is. We go inside there, ain't but about eight thousand people in that in that town. But we walk through there, and all my wife and me walking through there, we'll hear, "Hey, Big Swole And I look around, and you know, it's one of the inmates that I I, I was there and got out, or it, it's it's one of the officers. It worked. It worked for me or whatever, and and you know it's it's just we hear it all the time. And,
3: and your you wife know, smacks you in the back of the head and says, "I didn't yeah, tell you." you'd keep you straight. You know, <laughs> straight
4: but If she was here right now, me telling these prison stories, but well, she worked on me because she hates when I do that and I get wired up. But I, you know, it just brings back brings me back to the day. You know, back in the day where you know I had to deal with all the stuff and you kind of get wired out. But uh, uh man, I tell you what, it's it's just uh. But in the same token, I, and in the same token, you know, the, we had inmates there that did what they supposed to do. They did what they're supposed to do. They, they went ahead and acted right, and I was inmates there. My orderlies and stuff, I took care of. Them. You know, hey, you know, we laugh and joke, you know, that kind of thing, you know, that kind of stuff. But you know, the inmate was doing right. I never, you know, hey, I didn't mess with them. I wasn't a, you know, kind of officer that messed with inmates. I didn't do that. And I taught my officers on my shift. I said, look, I said, you know, mm-hmm. they got to be dealt with. You deal with. Them. You know, if we, we gotta go in the cell block, I call you with go with the cell block with me, you better have it on your mind. We're gonna deal with some stuff. I said, however, I don't want to catch any of you going ahead and dogging an inmate that, that doesn't deserve it. You know, we don't we don't operate like that.
3: Well, I'll tell you, i tell you what, Steve, getting to know you here over the last couple months, it's hard for me to believe that you'd ever be that fired up to throw a refrigerator across the room.
4: Well, you know, I would actually, and it, it's all on the camera. And everyone, it's a, since I retired. When I go back, my son is actually a warden over there now, at the same compound. And uh, he he says, "Oh man," he said, "Pop, they talk about you all the time. You know how 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 that you know, Cameron, when you threw it across the room." Well, the end of the story was, uh, the warden went ahead. Uh, he went ahead and brought that refrigerator up front, put it in the, in the roll call room in the front of the prison, and he put a sign on it that said PC. And you know what PC means, specific custody. And uh, it was a joke, you know, on, you know, everyone <laughs> So he kind of threw me out there on the bus said, oh, this is for a roll right there. Captain swole, he can't control his temper. So he, he went ahead and packed his refrigerator. <laughs> it's on PC.
2: So I had to, to look at him and said, I am under control. I meant to do that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's better it, than know. better than. Well, now, part of now, hold on. Now, tell me if I'm wrong here. You had to have a little showmanship to bluff them sometimes because you're dealing yes, with killers. You did. You did. So, you some had of these people, you had to bluff them a little bit because you ain't a killer like they are.
4: Right. Right. And you had a little head the mindset that you were control. You were in control. You controlled the situation. You controlled what was going on. And you're exactly right. And, and you know, when, when you're on that compound and, you know, I had officers tell me all the time, newer officers. Well, when it's child time and I'm trying to escort these, you know, these inmates to the child hall and they don't want to do what I tell them to do. He said, he said, I don't, I don't understand how one man can control 60. I said, it's very simple. Let me show you and give me an uh, idea. And I would sit there and I'd belt it out there. Hey! You know, and I'd go ahead and, and, and you could hear me all across the compound. Line it up. You know, line it up. I don't want to hear a word. Keep it straight. You know, and that was it. And you and you the marched to my like soldiers down to the hall. I said, you got to let them know who's in control. You're in charge. You run this. You're in control of this. They don't control anything. You know, and that's how you had to do the mindset. You had to do it. And it, it was, you know, uh, that's just how it was in DOC. You know what I'm talking about, you know?
3: Hey, I got, I got to think there's less paperwork, though, for you throwing a refrigerator across the room than throwing an inmate.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you hurt an inmate, I mean, yeah, you, then you got a lot, a lot of paper. Dude, now you got to, you know, you're dealing with a level of force now, and you upped it, you went ahead and had to put hands on an inmate, then you got to do reports, and, you know, you got to write it up and everything, and, and it's got to be written up right and everything else, and, and you know, uh, <laughs> So it, it, it can be a headache and, and you got, you got to do these reports and you got to make copies of them and you got to fill out all this other mess. And it's, it's something. So, you know, you don't want to really put hands on this. You have to, but you have to you do what you gotta do, you know? Uh, I
3: I, look- I, th- I think, uh, I think listening to, um, listen to your stories about that place. Uh, I think everybody listening will have a greater appreciation for what the guys do behind uh, behind the walls of those prisons to keep everybody oh, yeah, safe, yeah. you know, yeah. for sure. You well, know, and I know well, that, and I know we got a lot of people that listen that do do that job and uh will be shaking their head. Oh yeah. I remember a
4: time like
3: that. Right. You know? Hey, so,
4: so. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, you, uh, you know, in that mindset, right. That's what it is. Well,
3: hey, I, pre- I appreciate you taking the time to come back on and, and share uh share some of these stories i know how what do you i mean this I like
2: of- it oh yeah yeah I, you know he kind of reminds me of some of the guys i used to work with back especially when i was young yeah heck yeah
3: made you feel all warm and fuzzy right I, it's kind of well i don't know about that
2: <laughs> but, but it takes a certain, certain kind of person to work around uh, uh, uh when i say bad people i mean real bad i mean he's not kidding when he says bad people there is some bad people Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and people yeah. nowadays are they're going like, Well shit, I don't want to work with him because he's rude on Facebook or he posts some <laughs> bad stuff. I mean, these people cut people's they cut their mama's head off and then drive through the drive through <laughs> because are like hungry. That. I mean d I mean yeah. they're in a whole different world.
3: Yes sir. You're right. Oh man. Yeah. You're well, right. on, hey, on that note, we'll uh we'll say thank you, Steve, for all your uh your service prior to you know for prior to the uh, law enforcement for the uh, stuff he did in the Army. And, uh, yeah, thanks for keeping everybody. Thanks for keeping those people down in Louisiana, not letting them come to a go. Yeah, we're over... we
4: trying to keep them here. here. you go. <laughs> I, <guess laughs> I, I tell you what.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness. Or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out.
0: <laughs> God only knows in our shadows. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM.